The first three minutes of audio are a little loud, but after that, it settles down fine. All right, only a few verses to go to finish off 25. I wasn't sure we were going to make it all the way through. But I believe that we will. And we will cover the last two in the chapter, Edom and Philistia. He says in verse 12 of Ezekiel chapter 25, Thus says the Lord God, because of what Edom did against the house of Judah by taking vengeance, and has greatly offended by avenging itself on them. The first two, of course, they're, they're thinking they were mocking the people of God, the things of God. These last two have the same trait in, in common, in that they were taking vengeance. Now, Edom also uh, known as Seir, because of the area of Mount Seir. It's located just south of Moab. So we started out with Ammon, we moved down to Moab, we're going kind of in a clockwise fashion all the way around the nation of Israel. And so this is uh, just a little bit further south from Moab. They are close allies with Moab. The Edomites, uh, you probably already know, are descendants of Esau. And that's from Genesis 25 and 25. He was characterized as red and hairy, and Edom means red. Now there was, always anim- there was animosity between Jacob and Esau for a long time. They did seem to work it out, but their descendants did pick up this animosity, and that carried on through much of the time of their histories. This is how God saw them in Genesis 27 and 40. They, he sees them as a warring group, warring people. In Second Chronicles 25 and verse 14, he calls them or sees them as idolatrous. In Jeremiah 49, 15 through 16, proud. These are all written there if you want to go look them up later on. This from the other one take a look at. In Amos 1 and verse 11, that says the Lord, for three transgressions of Edom and for four, I will not turn away its punishment because he pursued his brother with the sword and cast off all pity. His anger tore perpetually and he kept his wrath forever. This is talking about that internal part, just not not walking in forgiveness, not walking in, in the right attitude, not walking in love, just carrying this hate and this wrath with him and it caused all kinds of animosity between Edom and Israel. And it seems to be mostly on Edom's part. So we saw him as, saw him as cruel in Amos 1 and verse 11. Hebrews 12 and 16 through 17 calls Edom, calls Esau profane and says the people of Edom had picked up that same trait. And he was called profane because he despised the blessing of God, which was the, uh, the birthright, and he sold it for just a bowl of stew. So he held in contempt the things of God. And this is also found in the descendants and this was also found in the descendants of, of Esau. They were bitter enemies towards God's people. They didn't see the things of God as being special or things of God. And they despised them just as Esau had done. Here in this verse 12, we see that they were vengeful, filled with vengeance. In Numbers 20 and verse 21, we see that they hated God's people. They refused to give Israel passage through the territory. Remember when they had come up and they said, can we pass through your land? And, and they said, no. And so they turned Israel away from, from going through. In Second Chronicles 20, 10 through 11, uh, we are reminded 
the people of Israel are reminded that they did not invade Ammon, Moab, or Edom when it came when they came out of Egypt. But each of these nations invaded Israel at every opportunity that they had. In verse 8, going back to last week, Edom did not recognize the special nature of Israel and they were included in the condemnation of Moab when we saw them in verse verse 8 as far as uh, not calling the things of God special or seeing the specialness of the things of God. In... Um, in Psalm chapter 137, verse 7, they called for the destruction of Jerusalem. In Amos chapter 1 and verse 6 and 9, they actually bought and enslaved the, the Israelites that were taken captive. So these uh, certain ones were taken captive and they bought the whole lot and took them into slavery, even though they were their brethren. And this is something that God remembered and in the prophecy of Amos against them, he brings that up. Now, when you take vengeance for yourself, there's a few things that you're doing. First off is you are making a judgment that you are right. If you ever get to a place where you are taking vengeance on yourself, you're making a judgment that you are right. If you go before a court, court of law, for the court to see, decide between you and someone else and then issue a punishment, generally if you go before a court, you're either one in some kind of a monetary uh, 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 things to come back on you or, or s- something for the court to cause as an injunction against the people that you bring the lawsuit for. But when we take vengeance on ourselves, we're bypassing all that. I don't need anybody else to tell me that I'm right. I am right. And so we're just going to go ahead and declare it. We're going to take vengeance for ourselves. So I make a judgment that I am right. Of course, the Word of God says that every man's way is right in his own eye. So that's not a good way to go. But we probably realize that deep down, if the truth ever came out, we may not be seen as being right. So we're making a judgment that we are right and that they are wrong. That would mean that we are, we are to, uh, we are esteeming ourselves higher than the other people. And that's not something we're supposed to do. We've also decided that our judgment is fitting. I decided that what I want to do is is right. Now, I'm sure nobody here has done this, but you probably have heard people tell stories that as they're driving and someone has cut in front of them or something has done something that they have wished for some way to cause that car in front of them harm and, and feel perfectly justified about it. But in reality, was was what they did worthy of the, the type of judgment that they want to pass out upon them. And it's not. So we've decided that our judgment, when we do vengeance, we take vengeance on someone. My judgment is fitting. And no one can tell us that we're wrong. When I get into that vengeful spot, if you try and go up to somebody and say, look, it may not be this way, they get mad at you. You've probably been on the receiving end of that. Hopefully not on the giving end. But if, if somebody comes and tries to talk some sense into you, you know, let's just let this go. This is not a big deal. And then the, that vengeance can be turned over to you. So when we get into that vengeance mode, God is letting us know that He takes note. And He took note of this with these people from the time back in Esau up until now. This is the way that they've been. Of course, Esau was very vengeful. Uh, he got out of it for a little while, but apparently it came back upon all his people. 
and they did not stay out of it. So we're kind of like sitting in the seat of God. I decided that that I'm going to make a judgment. My judgment is going to be right. It's going to be correct. And no one can stand in our way. That's really where God is. Because God, when He takes vengeance on someone, He makes a judgment and He's decided that it's right. But He's God. We are not. So we have to make sure that we ourselves stay out of the area of vengeance. In verse 12 again, Thus says the Lord God, because of what Edom did against the house of Judah by taking vengeance and has greatly offended by avenging itself on them, understand it's greatly offended. Greatly offended. God has been greatly offended at the way that they have avenged themselves. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, I will also stretch out my hand against Edom, cut off man and beast from it and make it desolate from Taman. Dedan shall fall by the sword. Now what we have basically done is we have taken Taman, which is in the extreme north of Edom, and Dedan, which is in the extreme south. So we're basically calling the entire land by pulling these two places out. So because of this, on the basis of this vengeance thing, on the basis of the way that you've had this attitude of vengeance, judgment has been passed. The country will be laid waste. Now both Isaiah and Jeremiah describe it as becoming a desolate and a waste or empty place. And there's some other places where you'll... I gave you the reference for Jeremiah and Isaiah. If you want to go read them later on, you can go do that. But I'm going to read to you the... Uh, the entire book of Obadiah it consists of 21 verses. <laughs> the vision of Obadiah. Thus says the Lord God concerning Edom. And the entire book of Obadiah is dedicated to Edom. We have heard a report from the Lord and a messenger has been sent among the nations saying, Arise and let us rise up against her for battle. Behold, I will make you small among the nations. You shall be greatly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you. They had this pride that's in their heart that's deceived them. They thought they were so big. They thought they were so great. And God says, you are small among the nations. You who dwell in the clefts of the rock, whose habitation is high, you who say in your heart, "We, who will bring me down to the ground? Though you ascend as high as the eagle, and though you set your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down, says the Lord. If thieves had come to you, if robbers by night, oh, how you will be cut off. Would they not have stolen till they had enough? If grape gatherers had come to you, would they not have left some gleanings? Oh, how Esau shall be searched out, how his hidden treasures shall be sought after. All the men in your confederacy shall force you to the border. The men at peace with you shall deceive you and prevail against you. Those who eat your bread shall lay a trap for you. No one is aware of it. Will I not in that day, says the Lord, even destroy the wise men from Edom? and understanding from the mountains of Esau, then your mighty men, O Timon, shall be dismayed to the end that every one from the mountains of Esau may be cut off by slaughter. Now in this prophecy it says you shall be forced to your border. And this is what's going to happen. We're going to show you some maps here later on that's going to show you what, the, what had happened to them. But just keep that part of the prophecy in mind. Verse 10, For violence against your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you. They had been violent against their brother. This is their brother. But they let these feelings of vengeance take them over. And you shall be cut off forever. In the day that you stood on the other side, in the day that strangers carried captive his forces, when foreigners entered his gates, so speaking about his brother Jacob, 
and cast lots for Jerusalem. Even you were as one of them. But you shall, you should not have gazed on that day of your brother in the day of his captivity, nor should you have rejoiced. Same theme as before. They were rejoicing when the bad things happened to their neighbor. Nor should you have rejoiced over the children of Judah in the day of their destruction, nor should you have spoken proudly in the day of distress. You should not have entered the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Indeed, you should not have gazed on their affliction in the day of their calamity, nor laid hands on their substance in the day of their calamity. You should not have stood at the crossroads to cut off those among them who escaped. So there are some people who escaped and they stood in the way of them getting away. That's how vengeful they were. Nor should you have delivered up those among uh, among them who remained in the day of distress. For the day of the Lord upon all the nations is near. And you have done. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your reprisal shall return upon your own head. Now that theme is in many places in the Word of God that the things that you do will come back around against you. Which is why we have to make sure that we always extend mercy. Because we want to have mercy extended to us. We want to uh, we want to extend love because we love, want love to come to us. We want for, always to extend forgiveness because I want forgiveness to come to us. If I cut off those things, mercy, forgiveness, love, and the list goes on, if I cut those things off in my life, I cut them off from God giving them to me as well. And here, because they had operated in all this vengeance, they had opened the way for vengeance to come down upon them. For as you drank on my holy mountain, so shall all the nations drink continually. Yes, they shall drink and swallow and they shall be as though they had never been. But on Mount Zion there shall be deliverance, and there shall be holiness. The house of Jacob shall possess their possessions. The house of Jacob shall be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame. But the house of Esau shall be stubble. They shall kindle them and devour them, and no survivor shall remain of the house of Esau. For the Lord has spoken, The south shall possess the mountains of Esau, and the lowland shall possess Philistia. They shall possess the fields of Ephraim, in the fields of Samaria. Benjamin shall possess Gilead and the captives of this host of the children of Israel shall possess the land of the Canaanites. As far as Zarephath, the captives of Jerusalem who are in Shepharad shall possess the cities of the south. Then Savior shall come to Mount Zion to judge the mountains of Esau and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. What he's talking about here in this last verse is that saviors or mighty men will come and they will be the saviors here. So, Obadiah is, is making a prophecy this way. Israel, which is the nation that will be dispersed. The northern tribe was dispersed by Assyria. The southern tribe was taken captive by Babylon. Esau, his people, Edom, they rejoiced over it. They were glad. They constantly took vengeance against it. And God is saying, those people are going to come back and get you. So God is saying, even though they have been dispersed as a nation, they're going to come back as a nation and they will come down to Edom and they will take them. In verse 14, it says, I will lay my vengeance on Edom by the hand of my people Israel that they may do in Edom according to my anger and according to my fury and they shall know my vengeance, says the Lord God. So he says the same thing that was that we just read in, in Obadiah. That Israel is the one who's going to come against Edom. So he's making this prediction at the same time, right after he's made predictions that is that is, I'm sorry, <laughs> Judah is going into captivity. Now, if you are, 
Ezekiel. Would you argue with God a little bit about this word? Wait a minute, our people are being captive. They're being take, they've been taken away. How are they going to be executing this judgment on, on the house of Edom? But that's what he had, had said. Now, if we were to call up the map of Judea, I want to show you some things, what had happened here, because uh, they do become, Edom was, did become judged in this. This will be fulfilled. Were you able to bring it up? <laughs> hmm. The um, this will become the fulfilled later on when Edom is defeated by the Maccabees. How many have ever heard of the Maccabees, Maccabean period, and so forth? Now, what happened was with uh, the nation of of Edom. Edom was located over in this south region over here. The, the, the prophecy was executed in that the people that were over in this way pushed them out of their land. And so what happened was they came and they settled in the south part of Judea after Judea had been taken into captivity. And so they were, these guys were out, these guys were down here, and they were called, the, they, they were called Edumia. This is the new name that was given to them. And this is the area where they inhabited. Eventually, Judah comes back and takes this area over here. Now, when Rome comes, uh, we're gonna, we'll, we'll get to the next map here in just a minute, but when Rome comes, Rome comes in about 63, 60 AD. I'm sorry, yeah, um, BC. They came in six, about 60 BC and they pushed the uh, Maccabean people, the Hasmonean uh, Empire, they pushed them out. So for about a hundred years, Israel had to, had basically, they, they ruled themselves. It was called the Hasmonean Dynasty. And it began with the Maccabean Revolt. They survived for about 103 years, and then they yielded to Rome in about 37 B.C. Here we have the installation of Herod the Great. He was of the nation of Edomian. He was an Edomian. He was made king in 37 BC. Now that would make Herod of what descent? He is from Edom. Herod was an Edomite. So they were still around then, but they were down over in this area. Now, if you ever wondered, where does the name Judea come from? Anybody ever wonder that? Because it used to be called Judah, right? How did we go from Judah to Judea? The reason that happened was, it's a combination word. They took the nation of Judah and combined it with Udemia. And so they took the E-A off of that and the J-U-D off of Judah. They combined it and you have Judea. So Judea is actually the land because when the that the, when the um, Hasmonean Empire came down, they conquered these guys. When they conquered them, they forced them to become circumcised. They forced them to become Jewish and to follow Jewish laws. Now, here's a problem that comes in with that. God had told the, the Israelites not to mingle with the Edomites, to stay away from them. When 
when Esau had come and had built his family, he married Canaanite women. And so the Edomites were a mixture of uh, the blood of Abraham and the blood of Canaanites, which is the very people that God said you have to wipe out, which is one of the reasons why the Edomites were so prone to idolatry because they brought this, this stuff in. And so they had gotten pushed out of their area over here to settle over here in the southern area of Judea. The Jews, when the Romans came through, the Jews basically put, or the, the Romans put the Jews in the area of Jerusalem, Jericho, in the northern area of, of Judah, and in the area of Galilee. This is where the Romans pushed the Jews to. So the Jews reside here, and the Jews reside here. These, in this area, are Edomites that are following after Jewish customs, circumcision, the law, the worship of, of Jehovah. But how many of you want to, want to believe they've corrupted the worship? They have corrupted the worship to a degree. Now, I've, I've, I think I've told you, mentioned this to you before, but when we went through, when I was a kid, I went through Walk Through the Bible. Anybody ever hear Walk Through the Bible? Did Walk Through the Bible. And some of the things that they gave you to remember some of the stuff, I still remember to this day. That's decades ago. And I still remember. But one of the, 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 the things that they gave us, you can see right here. In the area of Galilee, this is Jewish people. In the area of Judea, this is Jewish people. And there is some area in between. <laughs> Samaria. Samaria is the mixed race of people. This is where they put uh, Syrians. This is where they put uh, people from other, other places. And they mixed them in here. Once they did that, some of the Jewish people that were still there did not keep their Jewish lines. And so in that area, you have some people with some Jewish blood and some foreign blood. And so those who were kept their, their lineage pure Jewish up here in the area of Galilee and the area of Judea despised the Samaritans because either they were completely foreign or they were mixed blood. And so when Jesus would go by, through, he would go up to Galilee he would have to come back down through Samaria to come back into to, um, to Jerusalem. Do you remember this, the story that was told that he set his face for, Jer- for Jerusalem? This is He was up here in Galilee. He set his face to go down here and he just kind of made a beeline and wasn't going to minister or do anything in between here because he was sent to the lost sheep of Israel. And so when the woman who caught him on the road... <laughs> He said his face, this is where I'm going. Some people got offended at that. She didn't. She, she kept trying to, to, uh, to get him over there. This is the area of the Philistines over this, this area. So that's our, our, our one map. That's where the people of Edom are. They are still around. They were, they were not taken into captivity. The Edomites, Israel was taken into captivity. I'm sorry, Judah was taken into captivity into Babylon. Assyria dispersed the northern tribes. But Edom was just pushed out of their land. And those that survived the invasion came over here into the south area and came down into into here. It is really important to know that for our place we're going to look at later on. So just remember, Israel was taken into uh, captivity and dispersed. 
Judah was taken into captivity and preserved in Babylon and then eventually sent back into their land. But they were preserved through all that. In the, um, when Herod was made king in 37 BC, this ended the Hesmonian dynasty. And this was pretty strong. Israel uh, really liked this Hasmonean dynasty. It started out with the Maccabean rebellion, revolt that came up against Syria. This was the Antiochuses. Remember Antiochus the Great and the, the forerunner to the Antichrist? Well, there was a number of Antiochus after that. They revolted because of the things that they were doing. And uh, they threw them off. And so they had a little bit of a time there in which they were self-ruled. Go on over to our second map. This is the Hasmonean kingdom. These are, if you, uh, one, I can always send this to you, but you, they, they color-coded it to show you where they started and where they expanded to. And so they eventually expanded all these areas, did not expand to here, but, but expanded all these areas out here. This is Ammon, Moab, and Edom. They pushed this empire all the way out to here. They pushed it down into the southern area of Judah where the Edomites were. So just as the prophecy said that the Jewish people were the ones who were going to execute this punishment upon them, the Jewish people were the ones who executed this punishment upon them. And they expanded the territory to all this area, which is about what it, what it was before because they had some of the territories over here west, west of the, uh, I'm sorry, east of the, of the river. Back with the uh, two and a half tribes who decided that they liked the areas that they had taken. So they took some of those areas. So they got some of that back, but they were also uh, getting into the territory of Moab and Ammon and uh, Edom. Now Herod wanted to make himself be a little bit more justified <clears throat> as far as being the king. Because you can imagine the Jewish people, they felt that they were independent. And they had these, uh, uh, they had their own kings up until this point. They had about a hundred years where they had their own kings. So what Herod did was he married a Hasmonean princess. And I want to make sure I get her name right. Mary, Mariamne. Mariamne, I think it is, is, uh, and she, uh, married Herod to try and give him some legitimacy to the Hasmonean Empire. There was a last male Hasmonean heir and he was planning on drowning him at his Jericho palace. I did not hear whether he actually accomplished that. I just heard that he planned to, to do so. In uh, about 6 AD, Rome joined Judea, Samaria, and Edomia into a Roman province called Judea. And that's where our name comes from, Judea. So Judea would, would encompass all those, all those areas. In about 44 AD, this is after the death of Christ, Rome installed the rule of a, of a uh, procurator side by side with the rule of the Herodian kings. Did you ever wonder in reading through scripture how you could have King Herod and King Agrippa? The reason that they had that was that uh, Rome in 44 AD decided to, to instill this. And so they had a, pure, a procurator side by side with the ruler of the Herodian kings. So they didn't want to remove the Herodian kings, but they also wanted to bring their own people in. 
So Agrippa came in 41 to 44, and then Agrippa II came in 50 to 100. He was in there. These, this is what Paul faced when he was before Herod and when he was before the uh, Agrippa. This is what he was what he was facing. Um, no, I didn't write, write a name in there, down here. Hieronicus, he was a descendant of the Maccabees. He's the one who actually conquered the land of Edomia. So, this um, there is actually a Jewish encyclopedia edition, 1903 edition, that uh, has under the heading showing that, that uh, the area of Edomia was settled by the Edomites. And this is where they, they were at. And even Josephus, there's a whole quote I had pulled out. Um, I'll read it to you. That country is also called Judea and the people Jews. And this name is given also to as many as embraced their religion, Judaism, throughout all, though, <laughs> though of other nations. But then upon what foundation so good a governor as Hyrcanus, grandson of Matthias, I'm sorry, Matathias, patriarch of Maccabees, the family of Judahite patriots of the second and first century BC, took upon himself to compel these Edomians, Edomites, either to become Jews or to leave their country, deserves great consideration. I suppose it was because they had long ago been driven out of the land of Edom and had seized on the, and possessed the tribe of Simeon, their land, not the people. Now I'm quoting from Josephus here. And all the southern part of the, of the tribe of Judah, which was the uh, peculiar inheritance of the worshipers of the true God without idolatry. So I'm not sure if that's, if he's saying right in that history that the southern part of the, of the country wasn't as given to idolatry or didn't ha- have any idolatry at all as the area around Jerusalem did. Now, General Pompey is the guy who came through and established Roman rule in the area of Judea and knocked out the Hesmonian kings. So what you're basically seeing here, go back to our other map if you would, the land of Palestine is not a nation of Jewish people. It is a nation of a lot of mixed people. There are people from Syria. There are people from uh, Egypt. There are people from Edom. There are people from uh, the Jewish people that are there. There are just so many that are all put in there. So when Jesus is coming around and ministering in Jesus' day, this is a this is kind of like the United States, a hodgepodge of a bunch of different uh, nationalities all put together. And some try and stay to themselves, and others uh, are intermixed. It kind of um, goes uh, whichever way that they, they intended to go. But the Jewish people, the ones in the area of Galilee and the ones around Jerusalem, they were the ones that were, no, we're, we're staying to be just Jewish people. Go out there and marry yourself a nice Jewish girl and all that sort of stuff. Now, at the time of Messiah, at the time that Jesus was here, the Sadducees were in control of the, of the temple. The Pharisees were in control of the synagogues. According to a couple of the sources, there were about 6,000 Pharisees during the time of Messiah. Some of these Pharisees, some of these Sadducees, are non-Jews. Some of them are Edomites. Now I'll show you some of the things in Scripture that will show this for you. But when Herod had come to power, he was solidifying his position 
by bringing his his relatives and people from his people, from the folks from his people, Edomites, people from Edomia, and he appointed many of these non-Jewish people to important positions. He killed the entire Sanhedrin, except for Hillel and Shammai. Now Herod was practicing Judaism, as were many of the Edomites, and another group of people called the the uh, Nebatians. These are the ones I believe that had pushed the Edomites out of their land. They were commingled with the Jews and adopted their customs. Now the Edomites were called by a certain name in Scripture. They don't go by Edomite in the, in the New Testament. How many have ever heard of the Herodians? That is the Edomites. So you'll see them in Scripture. They were politically aligned with Herod and they plotted with the Pharisees, of course, to kill Messiah. In Matthew 20, 22, verse 16, And they sent to him their disciples with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true. Teach the way of God in truth, nor do you care about anyone, for you do not regard the person of men. So here you have Jewish religious leaders teaming up with non-Jewish religious leaders to come against Jesus. When you see that thing Herodians there, these are Edomites, a condemned people by the word of God put into religious positions. Mark chapter 3 verse 6, Then the Pharisees went out and immediately plotted with the Herodians against him how they might destroy him. In Mark 12 and 13, Then they sent to him some of the Pharisees and Herodians to catch him in their words. Now, we're going to go back to one more, one more scripture here. In John chapter 8 verse 33, you can write, uh, did I write these in your outline for you? If not, you can just write them down. John eight thirty three. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? How many of you remember that verse of scripture? Yeah. Here's the thing. That's not stated by Jewish people. Because the Jewish people cannot say to the Messiah, we were never in bondage. Because all of the Jewish people were in bondage. So how is it that this group of people comes to Jesus and say, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone? Because they are Abraham's descendants of the nation of Edom. Because Edom was never in captivity. They were never in bondage. They were driven out of their land and settled into the southern part of Judea. So that verse of scripture, John 8, 33, it can only apply to the Edomites. If they were of Jewish descent, they would not have been able to say that. Now the Sanhedrin, there are two of them. The word Sanhedrin refers to or means religious court. The first of these Sanhedrins was a 23-member court run by the Sadducees that handled local affairs. The larger counterpart, the Great Sanhedrin, was comprised of 70 elders with a president. In the time of Jesus, this president was Gamaliel. I remember that name. In Acts 5.25, it shows that this group and the Great Sanhedrin coming together to discuss the problem of the Christians. So the Great Sanhedrin kind of functioned like the combination of a Senate and a Supreme Court. 
Now, most of its members at the time of the crucifixion are Pharisees from the school of Shammai. In the book of Acts, when Galileo, the, the president of the great Sanhedrin, he encouraged tolerance towards Christians, but because he and his followers were outnumbered by the Sadducees and the Pharisees, they ultimately elected to persecute the Christians. At the trial of Jesus before the elders, Gamaliel is probably not present. If he had, the circumstances around that trial may have been a little bit different. But the Sanhedrin was gathered quickly. It was gathered with those that could be found. So of the great Sanhedrin, they probably were not able to get all 70 and they may not have been able to get Gamaliel. He may have been traveling or going to some other place and was not there. And they, they uh, gathered them quickly and they decided on this thing quickly. So they did it with whoever was there. Now the trial held to try Jesus. Uh, this is uh, mostly made up of Sadducees and Pharisees from the school of Shammai. It is possible that Nicodemus and Josephus of Arimathea represented the school of Hallel. Now that is the one person that he didn't kill when he uh, executed all the Sanhedrin people, Herod, when he executed them all. That's one of the two that he did not kill was Hallel. So you can go into your, if you want to do some research on that and find out some of the school of Hallel compared to the school of Shammai. Um, but let's keep on reading here. In, do we have everything? We, I think we had everything out of our, out of our maps there. In Ezekiel 25, 15, thus says the Lord God, because the Philistines dealt vengefully and took vengeance with a spiteful heart to destroy because of the old hatred. Well, you see, vengefully repeated quite a few times here. And then the hatred is, is talked about. Because the Philistines dealt vengefully and took vengeance with a spiteful heart to destroy because of the old, the old hatred. They weren't just trying to promote their own interests with this vengeance. They had a hatred and a spiteful heart towards the people of Israel. Now the, the Philistines were along the coast. They were along the Mediterranean coast of the land of Israel. And from the time that the Israelites came in, the Philistines saw them as a threat because if they had a strong Israeli uh, uh, nation, it, they saw that as uh, disturbing their reign on the coast. And so they, they kept attacking. We see countless times that the Philistines were attacking Israel. It seems like every time the Philistines are mentioned, they're attacking Israel again. The people of Israel said, we want a king to deliver us from these Philistines like the other nations. And so God gave them a king and it wasn't too long before they became like other nations and they were also judged just like the other nations. So they got everything they wanted like other nations. But Saul came in. He began some of the deliverance from the Philistines. He did not finish it. He spent too much of his time chasing David. He could have done a whole lot more against the Philistines. But he took all the army and they were running around the whole country chasing David instead of guarding the borders. So the Philistines were able to get in and to do damage to Israel because the borders were not protected. And here's the king taking his, his men going after this one guy. And he was so obsessed with it that the land of Israel was weakened throughout this time of his, his king. Instead of him taking some of the early victories that he had and establishing a dominance over him, he decided to turn it and go after the go after David instead. Eventually David leaves and he goes over to the land of Philistia and then um, 
he comes back and becomes king, and he's the one who really pushes the the um, the group of the Philistines down. Does not wipe them out, but he greatly weakens them. Uh, in Second Samuel five, you're going to see some of the uh, battles that David had that uh, greatly weakened them. And the hostilities will continue with the Philistines all the way up until Hezekiah in 2 Kings 18 and Jehoram in 2 Chronicles 21, Ahaz in 2 Chronicles 28. After that, they're no longer a threat. We don't hear of them about being a threat after 2 Chronicles 28 and Ahaz. Verse 16, Therefore thus says the Lord God, I will stretch out my hand against the Philistines and I will cut off the Carathites and destroy the remnant of the sea coast. Now, who were the Carathites? You'll notice some translations spell that with a K. So I give it a hard K sound. I know that the CH can go either way. At least in the English you can. Now, the, the Carathites are a fierce Philistine fighting force that were once employed by David. In 2 Samuel chapter 8, in verse 18, David had them as his own personal bodyguards. And they were... Uh, overseen by Benaniah, son of Jehoiada. He was over them. Let's go over here to verse 17. I will execute great vengeance on them with furious rebukes, and they shall know that I am the Lord when I lay my vengeance upon them. So these last two, Philistia and Edom, are singled out as having this great vengeance against Israel. The, the previous ones mocked the things of God. They mocked the people of God. They mocked the fact that they were special people for God. They, they rejoiced when the temple was destroyed and the nation was, was taken into captivity. They were the mockers. But these are the ones who had venge, vengeance. If you've ever thought of people in your life that are set out to get vengeance against you, God sees that hatred. And he sees those who are taking vengeance against you. And just know that God says, I got this handled. Now, many of us want it handled sooner than later. But th- this stuff with the Philistines started back way back in the book of Genesis. And it's not until Chronicles that we see it over. Now, a lot of that is just because of Israel's uh, uh, disobedience. If they would have done the things they would have been supposed to have been doing the problem with the Philistines would have been wiped out a whole lot sooner. But it wasn't because they kept messing with idolatry. They kept flirting around with things where uh, God said the, the uh, uh, judgment would come against them. Even in the book of Judges, they kept not following after God, not doing the things that God said to do. And so just as he outlined the Deuteronomy, if you don't follow my ways, these are the things that are going. And so the bands of raiders came over and the enemies of Israel came against them. But he, God would have preferred that not have happened. He would have wiped out all these these people. When you see vengeance and hatred come against you, don't be concerned with the when or how any of that's going to be taken care of. That's something the enemy is going to try and get you to focus on. He's going to get you on the when and the how. When do you think God's going to do this? How do you think God's going to do this? Don't you think it should have been done already? And he can get us captivated with taking vengeance ourselves. But we cannot get into that area where we are the ones who take the vengeance. That we are the ones who execute this. That's not our role to do. That is somebody else's. If if we do, we can allow this kind of hatred to just take us over. And boy, can we see that in this country. How many the, the things that go on, 
I mean, in the political scene, in the uh, uh, in the the scene where you have you know gay rights and uh, gay marriage and and how many other issues are are coming up here? And the the people, abortion. There's another one. And the people get on one side, and they want to get over there, and they want to kill anyone who's who's against their their folks, and who's against uh, what it is that they want to do. And I tell you, sometimes even Christians get on it. You know, we have a we have a president now. We had a president before. It seemed like some of the Christians thought the the one before President Obama was uh, straight from the pit of hell, and they hated anyone who sided with them. And then those same people think that the, the current one is uh, he's straight from heaven. Sent, sent from heaven. <laughs> and they, uh, th- there's no, no tolerance for, for the other ones. Isn't it amazing how Christians can have that? And, it, and they think these evil things, harmful things of each other, of, of this. But we can't be having that. We cannot be having this kind of vengeance. We cannot be having that kind of hatred take us over. If people want to disagree with you about something, let them disagree with you. If you got the truth on your side, don't worry about it. Just rest easy. Truth is, is on my side. And, and God's light will come out. We don't have to mess with it. We don't have to get over there and start hating on the other side. Just walk in the things of God. Because when people walk in the area of vengeance, as the people of Edom did, as the people of Philistia did, it takes them over. They pretty soon, they, they can't function. This is how they, how they go. Saul did this. Saul was constantly trying to take vengeance on David. So much so, he drove his nation down the tubes, trying to uh, trying to overcome this. Don't let hate get a hold of you. If people want to disagree with you on an issue, you lay it on out there for them, and and, and go with that. If they don't want to take it, they don't want to take it. That's all you can do. Keep yourself free of the hate and the vengeance. Because just as God pronounced this judgment upon these two nations because of their hate and because of their vengeance and they're taking their own vengeance and they're coming in there. When they came in, they had opportunity to come against Israel. They were, they were ruthless with it. And God says, I'm remembering this and I will be executing this upon you. And so the Edomites were driven out of their land and they went and inhabited the southern area and they eventually, the very people that they were vengeful against came and conquered them so that we don't hear about the Edomites after some time. But just know the enemy will try and get you sold out for a cause about how good that cause is and everyone who comes against you that they um, they are deserving of harm. So much so that if we have a person and they're, they're wearing a, a hat or a bumper sticker or a shirt that promotes the cause of the person that they want to do, then we don't like that uh, anger and, is, and rises up inside of some people. So much so that they want to burn their houses and crash their cars and, and take their stuff. And That's wrong. That's a satanic attitude. And if we allow that to come in, how can we claim to have the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ in us? I cannot embrace darkness and still walk in the light. Make sure, don't let that, don't let that hate get in you. Don't let that vengeful attitude get in you. If people are not gonna go after the things of God, and they aren't gonna go after the things of God. But you present it to them as light, and don't let the, the enemy take your light and put his evil mask of vengeance over it.
Well, Father, we thank You for the example that we have in Your Word, that we do not have to let this hate and this vengeance take hold of us. But Father, we walk free of that. We walk in the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ and in the love that He has poured in our heart. And we will not let the evil hate of this world and the enemy of our faith overtake us, but we will constantly walk in the love of God, even against people who don't see things quite the way we do, quite the way we see the Word of God laying things out. I thank you for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.